0: SECTION 22 OF HANS CHRISTIAN ANDERSON FAIRY TALES AND SHORT STORIES VOLUME 1 THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION, OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG RECORDING BY NOEL BADRIAN HANS CHRISTIAN ANDERSON FAIRY TALES AND SHORT STORIES VOLUME 1, 1835-1842 by hans christian anderson translated by h p paul what the moon saw part three twentieth evening it was more than a fortnight since the moon had shone now he stood once more round and bright above the clouds moving slowly onward hear what the moon told me from a town in fazan i followed a caravan On the margin of the sandy desert, in a salt plain that shone like a frozen lake, and was only covered in spots with light drifting sand, a halt was made. The eldest of the community, the water gourd hung at his girdle, and on his head was a little bag of unleavened bread, drew a square in the sand with his staff, and wrote in it a few words out of the Koran, and then the whole caravan passed over the consecrated spot a young merchant a child of the east as i could tell by his eyes and his figure rode pensively forward on his white snorting steed he was thinking perchance of his fair young wife it was only two days ago that the camel adorned with furs and with costly shawls had carried her the beauteous bride round the walls of the city while drums and cymbals had sounded the women sang And festive shots of which the bridegroom fired the greater number resounded round the camel and now he was journeying with the caravan across the desert for many nights i followed the train i saw them rest by the well side among the stunted palms they thrust the knife into the breast of the camel that had fallen and roasted its flesh by the fire my beams cooled the glowing sands and showed them the black rocks dead islands in the immense ocean of sand No hostile tribes met them in their pathless route. No storms arose. No columns of sand whirled destruction over the journeying caravan. At home the beautiful wife prayed for her husband and her father. Are they dead? she asked of my golden crescent. Are they dead? she cried to my full disc. Now the desert lies behind them. This evening they sit beneath the lofty palm trees where the crane flutters around them with its long wings and the pelican watches them from the branches of the mimosa. The luxuriant herbage is trampled down, crushed by the feet of elephants. A troop of negroes are returning from a market in the interior of the land. The women, with copper buttons in their black hair, and decked out in clothes dyed with indigo, drive the heavy-laden oxen on whose backs slumber the naked black children. A negro leads a young lion, which he has brought by a string. They approach the caravan. The young merchant sits pensively and motionless, thinking of his beautiful wife, dreaming, in the land of the blacks, of his white lily beyond the desert. He raises his head, and, but at this moment a cloud passed before the moon, and then another. I heard nothing more from him this evening. 21st evening. I saw a little girl weeping, said the moon she was weeping over the depravity of the world. She had received a most beautiful doll as a present. Oh, that was a glorious doll, so fair and delicate, she did not seem created for the sorrows of this world. But the brothers of the little girl, those great naughty boys, had set the doll high up in the branches of a tree, and had run away. The little girl could not reach up to the doll, and could not help her down, and that is why she was crying. The doll must certainly have been crying too, for she stretched out her arms among the green branches, and looked quite mournful. Yes, these are the troubles of life, to which the little girl had often heard tell. Alas, poor doll, it began to grow dark already, and suppose night were to come on completely. Was she left to be sitting on the bough all night long? No, the little maid could not make up her mind to that. I'll stay with you, she said although she felt anything but happy in her mind she could almost fancy she distinctly saw little gnomes with their high-crowned hat sitting in the bushes and further back in the long walk tall spectres appeared to be dancing they came nearer and nearer and stretched out their hands towards the tree on which the doll sat they laughed scornfully and pointed at her with their fingers oh how frightened the little maid was But if one has not done anything wrong, she thought, nothing evil can harm one. I wonder if I have done anything wrong. And she considered. Oh, yes, I laughed at the poor duck with the red rag on her leg. She limped along so funnily. I could not help laughing. But it's a sin to laugh at animals. And she looked up at the doll. Did you laugh at the duck too, she asked and it seemed as if the doll shook her head twenty-second evening i looked down upon tyrol said the moon and my beams caused the dark pines to throw long shadows upon the rocks i looked at the pictures of saint christopher carrying the infant jesus that are painted there upon the walls of the houses colossal figures reaching from the ground to the roof St. Florian was represented, pouring water on the burning house, and the Lord hung bleeding on the great cross by the wayside. To the present generation these are old pictures, but I saw when they were put up, and marked how one followed the other. On the brow of the mountain yonder is perched, like a swallow's nest, a lonely convent of nuns. Two of the sisters stood up in the tower tolling the bell, They were both young, and therefore their glances flew over the mountains out into the world. A travelling coach passed by below. The postillion wound his horn, and the poor nuns looked after the carriage for a moment with a mournful glance, and a tear gleamed in the eyes of the younger one. And the horn sounded faint, and more faintly, and the convent bell drowned its expiring echoes. Twenty-third evening hear what the moon told me. Some years ago, here in Copenhagen, I looked through the window of a mean little room. The father and mother slept, but the little son was not asleep. I saw the flowered cotton curtains of the bed move, and the child peep forth. At first I thought he was looking at the great clock, which was gaily painted in red and green. At the top sat a cuckoo. Below hung the heavy leaden weights, and the pendulum with the polished disk of metal went to and fro, and said, Tick, Tick. But no, he was not looking at the clock, but at his mother's spinning wheel that stood just underneath it. That was the boy's favourite piece of furniture. But he dared not touch it, for if he meddled with it he got a rap on the knuckles. For hours together, when his mother was spinning, he would sit quietly by her side, watching the murmuring spindle and the revolving wheel. And as he sat, he thought of many things. Oh, if he might only turn the wheel himself. Father and mother were asleep. He looked at them and looked at the spinning wheel. And presently, a little naked foot peeped out of the bed. And then a second foot. And then two little white legs. There he stood. He looked around once more to see if his father and mother were still asleep. Yes. They slept, and now he crept softly, softly in his short little nightgown to the spinning wheel, and began to spin. The thread flew from the wheel, and the wheel whirled faster and faster. I kissed his fair hair and his blue eyes. It was such a pretty picture. At that moment the mother awoke. The curtain shook. She looked forth and fancied she saw a gnome or some other kind of little spectre in heaven's name she cried and aroused her husband in a frightened way he opened his eyes rubbed them with his hands and looked at the brisk little lad why that is bertel said he and my eye quitted the poor room for i have so much to see at the same moment i looked at the halls of the vatican where the marble gods are enthroned i shone upon the group of the laocoon the stones seemed to sigh I pressed a silent kiss on the lips of the muses, and they seemed to stir and move. But my rays lingered longest about the Nile group with the colossal god. Leaning against the sphinx, he lies there thoughtful and meditative, as if he were thinking on the rolling centuries, and little love-gods sport with him and with the crocodiles. In the horn of plenty sat, with folded arms, a little tiny love-god, contemplating the great solemn river god a true picture of the boy at the spinning wheel the features were exactly the same charming and lifelike stood the little marble form and yet the wheel of the year has turned more than a thousand times since the time when it sprang forth from the stone just as often as the boy in the little room turned the spinning wheel had the great wheel murmured before the age could again call forth marble gods equal to those he afterwards formed years have passed since all this happened the moon went on to say yesterday i looked upon a bay on the eastern coast of denmark glorious woods are there and high trees an old knightly castle with red walls swans floating in the ponds and in the background appears among orchids a little town with a church Many boats, the crews all furnished with torches, glided over the silent expanse. But these fires had not been kindled for catching fish, for everything had a festive look. Music sounded, a song was sung, and in one of the boats the man stood erect, to whom homage was paid by the rest. A tall, sturdy man, wrapped in a cloak. He had blue eyes and long white hair. I knew him, and thought of the Vatican, and of the group of the Nile, and the old marble gods. I thought of the simple little room where little Bertil sat in his nightshirt by the spinning wheel. The wheel of time has turned, and new gods have come forth from the stone. From the boats there arose a shout, Hurrah, hurrah for Bertil Thorwaldson 24th Evening i will now give you a picture of frankfurt said the moon i especially noticed one building there it was not the house in which goethe was born nor the old council house through whose grated windows peered the horns of the oxen that were roasted and given to the people when the emperors were crowned no it was a private house plain in appearance and painted green it stood near the old jews street it was rothschild's house i looked through the open door the staircase was brilliantly lighted servants carrying wax candles in massive silver candlesticks stood there and bowed low before an old woman who was being brought downstairs in a litter the proprietor of the house stood bareheaded and respectfully imprinted a kiss on the hand of the old woman she was his mother she nodded in a friendly manner to him and to the servants and they carried her into the dark narrow street into a little house that was her dwelling. Here her children had been born. From hence the fortune of the family had arisen. If she deserted the despised street and the little house, fortune would also desert her children. That was her firm belief. The moon told me no more. His visit this evening was far too short. But I thought of the old woman in the narrow despised street. It would have cost her but a word and a brilliant house would have arisen for her on the banks of the Thames. A word and a villa would have been prepared in the Bay of Naples. If I deserted the lowly house, where the fortunes of my sons first began to bloom, fortune would desert them. It was a superstition, but a superstition of such a class, that he who knows the story and has seen this picture need have only two words placed under the picture to make him understand it and these two words are, a mother. 25th evening. It was yesterday, in the morning twilight. These are the words the moon told me. In the great city no chimney was yet smoking, and it was just at the chimneys that I was looking. Suddenly a little head emerged from one of them, and then half a body, the arms resting on the rim of the chimney-pot. "'Yah-hip, yah-hip!' cried a voice. It was the little chimney-sweeper, who had for the first time in his life crept through a chimney and stuck out his head at the top. "'Yah-hip, yah-hip!' Yes, certainly that was a very different thing to creeping about in the dark, narrow chimneys. The air blew so fresh, and he could look over the whole city toward the green wood. The sun was just rising. It shone round and great, just in his face, that beamed with triumph though it was very prettily blacked with soot the whole town can see me now he exclaimed and the moon can see me now and the sun too yahip ya hip! and he flourished his broom in triumph twenty-sixth evening last night I looked down upon a town in China said the moon my beams irradiated the naked walls that form the streets there Now and then, certainly, a door is seen, but it is locked. For what does the Chinaman care about the outer world? Close wooden shutters covered the windows behind the walls of the houses, but through the windows of the temple a faint light glimmered. I looked in and saw the quaint decorations within. From the floor to the ceiling pictures are painted in the most glaring colours and richly gilt, pictures representing the deeds of the gods here on earth. In each niche statues are placed, but they are almost entirely hidden by the colored drapery and the banners that hang down. Before each idol, and they are all made of tin, stood a little altar of holy water, with flowers and burning wax lights on it. Above all the rest stood Fo, the chief deity, clad in a garment of yellow silk, for yellow is here the sacred color. At the foot of the altar sat a living being, a young priest. He appeared to be praying, but in the midst of his prayer he seemed to fall into deep thought, and this must have been wrong, for his cheeks glowed and he held down his head. Poor Sui Hong! Was he perhaps dreaming of working in the little flower garden behind the high street wall? And did that occupation seem more agreeable to him than watching the wax lights in the temple? Or did he wish to sit at the rich feast wiping his mouth with silver paper between each course or was his sin so great that if he dared utter it the celestial empire would punish it with death had his thoughts ventured to fly with the ships of the barbarians to their homes in far distant england no his thoughts did not fly so far and yet they were sinful sinful as thoughts born of young hearts sinful here in the temple in the presence of Fo and the other holy gods i know whither his thoughts had strayed at the farther end of the city on the flat roof paved with porcelain on which stood the handsome vases covered with painted flowers sat the beauteous poo of the roguish eyes of full lips and of the tiny feet the tight shoe pained her but her heart pained her still more She lifted her graceful round arm, and her satin dress rustled. Before her stood a glass bowl containing four goldfish. She stirred the bowl carefully with a slender lacquered stick, very slowly, for she too was lost in thought. Was she thinking, perchance, how the fishes were richly clothed in gold, how they lived calmly and peacefully in their crystal world? How they were regularly fed, and yet how much happier they might be if they were free. Yes, that she could well understand, the beautiful Pooh. Her thoughts wandered away from her home, wandered to the temple, but not for the sake of holy things. Poor Pooh, poor Sui Hong. Their earthly thoughts met, but my cold beam lay between the two, like the sword of the cherub twenty-seventh evening the air was calm said the moon the water was transparent as the purest ether through which i was gliding and deep below the surface i could see the strange plants that stretched up their long arms towards me like the gigantic trees of the forest the fishes swam to and fro above their tops high in the air a flight of wild swans were winging their way one of which sank lower and lower with wearied pinions his eyes following the airy caravan that melted further and further into the distance. With outspread wings he sank slowly as a soap bubble sinks in the still air, till he touched the water. At length his head lay back between his wings, and silently he lay there, like a white lotus flower upon a quiet lake. And a gentle wind arose and crisped the quiet surface, which gleamed like the clouds that poured along in great broad waves. And the swan raised his head, and the glowing water splashed like blue fire over his breast and back. The morning dawn illuminated the red clouds. The swan rose, strengthened, and flew toward the rising sun, toward the bluish coast whither the caravan had gone. But he flew alone, with a longing in his breast. Lonely he flew over the blue swelling billows twenty-eighth evening i will give you another picture of sweden said the moon among dark pine woods near the melancholy banks of the stockson lies the old convent church of retta my rays glided through the grating into the roomy vaults where kings sleep tranquilly in great stone coffins On the wall above the grave of each is placed the emblem of earthly grandeur, a kingly crown. But it is made only of wood, painted and gilt, and is hung on a wooden peg driven into the wall. The worms have gnawed the gilded wood, the spider has spun her web from the crown down to the sand, like a mourning banner, frail and transient as the grief of mortals. How quietly they sleep! I can remember them quite plainly. I still see the bold smile on their lips that so strongly and plainly expressed joy or grief. When the steamboat winds along like a magic snail over the lakes, a stranger often comes to the church and visits the burial vault. He asks the names of the kings, and they have a dead and forgotten sound. He glances with a smile at the worm-eaten crowns, and if he happens to be a pious, thoughtful man. Something of melancholy mingles with the smile. Slumber on, ye dead ones, the moon thinks of you. The moon at night sends down his rays into your silent kingdom, over which hangs the crown of pine wood. Twenty-ninth Evening Close by the high road, said the moon, is an inn, and opposite to it is a great wagon shed, whose straw roof was just being re-thatched. I looked down between the bare rafters and through the open loft into the comfortless space below the turkey-cock slept on the beam and the saddle rested in the empty crib in the middle of the shed stood a travelling carriage the proprietor was inside fast asleep while the horses were being watered the coachman stretched himself though i am very sure that he had been most comfortably asleep half the last stage the door of the servants room stood open and the bed looked as if it had been turned over and over. The candle stood on the floor and had burned deep down into the socket. The wind blew cold through the shed. It was nearer to the dawn than to midnight. In the wooden frame on the ground slept a wondering family of musicians. The father and mother seemed to be dreaming of the burning liquor that remained in the bottle. The little pale daughter was dreaming too, for her eyes were wet with tears. The harp, stood at their heads and the dog lay stretched at their feet thirtieth evening it was in a little provincial town the moon said it certainly happened last year but that has nothing to do with the matter i saw it quite plainly today i read about it in the papers but there it was not half so clearly expressed in the tap-room of the little inn sat the bear leader eating his supper The bear was tied up outside, behind the woodpile. Poor Bruin, who did nobody any harm, though he looked grim enough. Up in the garret, three little children were playing by the light of my beams. The eldest was perhaps six years old, the youngest certainly no more than two. Tramp, tramp, somebody was coming upstairs. Who might it be? The door was thrust open. It was Bruin the great shaggy bruin he had got tired of waiting down in the courtyard and had found his way to the stairs i saw it all said the moon the children were very much frightened at first at the great shaggy animal each of them crept into a corner but he found them all out and smelt at them but did them no harm this must be a great dog they said and began to stroke him he lay down upon the ground The youngest boy clambered on his back, and bending down a little head of golden curls played at hiding in the beast's shaggy skin. Presently the eldest boy took his drum and beat upon it, till it rattled again. The bear rose upon his hind legs and began to dance. It was a charming sight to behold. Each boy now took his gun, and the bear was obliged to have one too, and he held it up quite properly. Here was a capital playmate they had found, and they began marching. One, two, one, two. Suddenly someone came to the door, which opened, and the mother of the children appeared. You should have seen her in her dumb terror, with her face as white as chalk, her mouth half open, and her eyes fixed in a horrified stare. But the youngest boy nodded to her in great glee, and called out in his infantile prattle. We're playing at soldiers. And then the bear leader came running up. 31st evening. The wind blew stormy and cold. The clouds flew hurriedly past. Only for a moment now and then did the moon become visible. He said, I looked down from the silent sky upon the driving clouds and saw the great shadows chasing each other across the earth. I looked upon a prison the closed carriage stood before it a prisoner was to be carried away my rays pierced through the grated window toward the wall the prisoner was scratching a few lines upon it as a parting token but he did not write words but a melody the outpouring of his heart the door was opened and he was led forth and fixed his eyes upon my round disc Clouds passed between us, as if he were not to see his face, nor I his. He stepped into the carriage. The door was closed, the whip cracked, and the horses galloped off into the thick forest whither my rays were not able to follow him. But as I glanced through the grated window, my rays glided over the notes, his last farewell engraved on the prison wall. Where words fail, sounds can often speak. My rays could only light up isolated notes, so the greater part of what was written there will ever remain dark to me. Was it the death hymn he wrote there? Were these the glad notes of joy? Did he drive away to meet death, or hasten to the embrace of his beloved? The rays of the moon do not read all that is written by mortals. 32nd Evening i love the children said the moon especially the quite little ones they are so droll sometimes i peep into the room between the curtains and the window frame when they are not thinking of me it gives me pleasure to see them dressing and undressing first the little round naked shoulder comes creeping out of the frock then the arm Or i see how the stocking is drawn off and a plump little white leg makes its appearance and a white foot that is fit to be kissed and i kiss it too but about what i was going to tell you this evening i looked through a window before which no curtain was drawn for nobody lives opposite i saw a whole troop of little ones all of one family and among them was a little sister She is only four years old, but can say her prayers as well as any of the rest. The mother sits by her bed every evening and hears her say her prayers. And then she has a kiss, and the mother sits by the bed till the little one has gone to sleep, which generally happens as soon as ever she can close her eyes. This evening the two elder children were a little boisterous. One of them hopped about on one leg in his long white nightgown, And the other stood on a chair surrounded by the clothes of all the children and declared he was acting grecian statues the third and fourth laid the clean linen carefully in the box for that is a thing that has to be done and the mother sat by the bed of the youngest and announced to all the family that they were to be quiet for little sister was going to say her prayers i looked in over the lamp and into the little maiden's bed where she lay under the neat white coverlet Her hands folded demurely, and her little face quite grave and serious. She was praying the Lord's Prayer aloud. But her mother interrupted her in the middle of her prayer. How is it, she asked, that when you have prayed for daily bread, you always add something I cannot understand? You must tell me what it is. The little one lay silent, and looked at her mother in embarrassment what is it you say after our daily bread dear mother don't be angry i only said and plenty of butter on it end of what the moon saw part three